Great form, okay. Up, up. You can put it up. While they're coming down, let me tell you this. Um, I want to make sure I stand back here so Kathy can see me okay. This, this week, I, 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 I'm, I, I have, you, you ought to be encouraged by this. Your, your pastor is, is ever, is, 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 um, is growing. I'm, I'm growing in my, in my, in my life in Christ. I haven't, I haven't stopped, I haven't stopped growing. And, and, and of course, you know as well as I do, that, that when you're growing, Sometimes it's it's incredibly encouraging. Like when you look at the at the mark of, uh, on the wall, you know, hey, I've grown six inches. You know, that's that's kind of cool. That's fun. And uh, and 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 there are times though when growing, in a different sense, is very painful. Right. And in fact, I and, you know, physical growth was painful for me because my knees started hurting when I started growing. Growth, growth, can be, growth can be incredibly encouraging and incredibly painful. The growth that's taken place in me is, 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 is a growth in awareness. And, and, and that awareness kind of boils down to this. My job as a, as a pastor, someone who, who represents the Lord and speaks to you each week, my job as a pastor isn't to provide you with a moral lesson every week. My, my task is not your moral perfection. My message is not for you to elevate your game so that the, so that the person next to you, you, you rise a notch above them in morality. So that, so that you walk out of this room saying, well, I'm better than this one because I don't do this or I do do this. That's not my job. My job isn't to say, my, my, in fact, my job isn't to say, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Get this, don't, stay away from that. My job is to be a conduit of the good news. To tell you that there is a God and there's incredibly good news. That comes from that God that's recorded in His Word that's for us all. I wrote this down this morning. Sometimes this stuff comes to me late in the week. Really late. This morning. Listen to this. Please. This is good news. God is working. No, excuse me. Let me start again. God is for us. God is for us. Now there's, there's, a, there's a qualification here. God is, God is for everybody. But God is especially for those who are in Christ and who belong to Him, and therefore are His children. God is 
for us. Now just take a, just, just take a moment to think about that. God, He's incomparable. There's, we can't compare Him to anything. He's, he's inconceivable. We can't conceive of, of His power. And, and, and he, He's God. And He's for us. And Paul says it like this, God, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. Always, always, my kids make fun of the way I say that, always, 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 working in our best interests. Now that's not, the, that's not even the best part. Well, it is the best part. But there's another part. Even when we're working against ourselves. And because we're deeply flawed people living in a fallen world, we often work against ourselves. We make decisions that put us in impossible situations. And God says, good, I have him right where I want him. Please remember this. God is for us, working in our best interests, even when we're working against ourselves. See, relative to the message today, and the message last week for that matter, because it's an ongoing message looking at the life of Abraham, a moralist, a preacher who's just interested in moralizing, would say to you, don't lie. You shouldn't lie. And as parents, we tell our kids that all the time, right? And maybe as spouses, we tell each other that too. Don't lie. Stop lying. Stop lying. You don't have to lie. The Bible tells us this. Here's the good news. It tells us why we don't have to lie. Turn to Genesis 13. See, it's not about, it's, it's, this, is, this, is, this whole thing, this whole thing that we're doing is not about put it, getting our ducks in a row. It's not about getting our act together. I mean, that'll happen. That'll happen because God is at work in us. And we can cooperate with that work. But it's not ultimately up to us. He's working in us. He's working on our behalf. Even when we're not cooperating. Even when we're not cooperating. God is working in us for us when we're His children. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. 
Now he was in Egypt because of a famine. See, God does this. God puts us in impossible situations so that he can teach us, so that he can shape us, so that he can fashion us because he wants, what he wants from us more than anything is to trust him. And we're not going to trust him until we're in impossible, unmanageable situations. And that's when we cry out to him. That's when we look up to him. That's when we look outside of ourselves to him. So he puts us in impossible situations. And that's what he did with Abraham. He called Abraham. He called Abraham and said, you're going to be a great nation. And his wife was barren. His wife couldn't have babies. And he said, you're going to be a great nation. Impossible. But see, that's the way God works. He puts us in impossible situations. Then he takes Abraham to this land that he promises him. And when he gets to the land, he finds out there's people there. And they're hostiles. Impossible situation. How can the land be mine when it's someone else's? Impossible. And then he gets into the land, and this is supposed to be a land that flows with milk and honey. This is supposed to be a rich, productive, fertile land. And it stops raining. And there's drought and famine. So Abraham makes a pretty logical decision and goes to Egypt. Well, if the promised land has hostiles. Egypt is, in and of itself, a hostile place. You see, because Abraham has a beautiful wife, and Pharaoh has an eye for beauty. Pharaoh's the leader of Egypt. And Pharaoh doesn't have morals. Pharaoh doesn't have scruples like we have. Pharaoh sees a beautiful woman. If he likes her, he adds her to his harem. So Abraham's in Egypt because he has to be, because Egypt's going to feed him and his family because the Nile River overflows and there's always food in Egypt. So he goes to Egypt out of the promised land. God didn't direct him to do it, but he did it. It was a logical choice. And he decides, well, I've got to protect myself and I've got to protect my family. So he lied. And he said to Sarah, Sarah, here's what I want you to do. Lie for me. And I'll lie too. Say you're my sister, not my wife. So Pharaoh takes her. Now that puts everything in jeopardy. That screws everything up. That messes everything up. And that's what we tell our kids. We say, don't lie because you're just going to have to add, add a lie to that lie and another lie to that lie and another lie to that lie until you have a tangled web of lies. And you can't, you can't see your way out of it. Well, Abraham gets in so deep that it is an unmanageable, impossible situation until God intervenes. By the way, not at Abraham's request. See, God, listen, please, please listen to this. God doesn't wait around saying, man, I wish they'd pray so I can do something. Man, I wish they'd pray so I could do something. God doesn't sit up there panicking because we're not praying. See, this is not mechanical. It doesn't work that way. He's waiting for us to do something so that he can act. No, no, 
No, it does say that God responds. I want you to look at this verse carefully. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife. God saved his family. What did Abraham do? Lied. Put his family in jeopardy. Totally messed up the situation. What did God do? Graciously intervened. He saved his family. Doesn't attribute that to Abraham or any kind of, or any kind of actions that Abraham performed. Abraham went to church, so God saved his family. Doesn't say that. Abraham read his Bible, so God saved his family. Doesn't say that. Abraham built an especially beautiful altar, so God saved his family. Doesn't say that. God was working with Abraham even when Abraham wasn't working with God. And if you're his child, work with him. But even if you're not, he's working for you. We can mess each other up, but we can't mess up God. (laughs) We just cannot, you cannot mess up God's plan for your life. You can't. And you do understand the implications, right? When your head hits the pillow at night, sleep! When you're tempted to take drugs for your stress, flush them down the toilet. I mean, unless they've been, you know what I mean. There's, there, there are all kinds of complications, and every case is different, and some people need, need, need medication. There's no doubt about that, okay? But you understand also what I'm saying. There's no need to carry all this stress. If God is for us, who can be against us? God saved his family. Let's go on. I think it gets better. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and, and, and God called Abraham because, because God is a, or Abram is a new, a new Adam. And God wants to work through people. He wants to work through people to bring, to bring about the, uh, uh, an awareness of who he is. So he gives us an example of what he's like, and he, and he starts to shape our minds and, and, and help us understand, fashion our minds so that we can understand what God is like. And he does that through a person. And he also is working through Abraham to bring us salvation, through Abraham and through his family and through a nation. And then through an individual who comes from that nation, Jesus Christ. So this is God working in a human being. And there are are similar ways that he works in us. And, and, And one of the things he's communicating here is understand who I am through what I'm doing here with Abraham. 
So he went, up, he went up from Egypt back into the promised land where he belonged, he and his wife and all that he had. Remember we told you that he got rich from this lie. Not a good thing, but he'll learn, he'll learn in time not to hold too tightly to the stuff. So Abraham was very rich as they counted wealth in that day. And of course, we would count it similar. He had livestock, he had silver, and he had gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev, that's the southern part of the Promised Land, as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now, Abraham's a person on the move. Abraham's a, a, what they call a sojourner. So, so he's on the move. He's, this is his life. This is the life that God has asked him to live. In fact, the promise of the land is for his descendants. It's for him and his descendants, but he's not going to fully realize the promise of the land. It's for his descendants. And of course, the importance of the land is this. You can't have a nation without a land. Right? And you've got to have the nation and you've got to have the land in order to have the people. And you have to have the people in order that the people can produce the Savior. So really, this is all about Jesus. And what we're studying here, really, and talking about together, is our very own ancestor. Our spiritual ancestor, Abram. So he goes back to where he was at first, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And here's where the Bible is both frustrating and fascinating. Wouldn't you love to know what they talked about? Wouldn't you just love to know? I mean, there was a lot to talk about, right? Wasn't there? You're going to make me a nation? My wife's not able to have a baby. How can I be a nation if I can't start a family? You want me to stay in this land, but it's inhabited. You want me to stay in this land, but I'm experiencing famine. And what was all that stuff that happened in Egypt? Would you please explain that to me? A lot to talk about, right? It doesn't say what they talked about. It kind of leaves it wide open. Which is good, right? Because it suggests that there's a lot that we should talk to God about. It kind of leaves it wide open. What did they talk about? Well, everything. He made an altar to the Lord because he took God seriously. And that's what we ought to do. And by taking God, ser- taking God seriously means that we have regular conversations with our God about everything. He called on the name of the Lord. He went back to, 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 to the beginning. He went back to where he needed to go back to. And sometimes we need to do that, don't we? 
Do you have spiritual stakes in the ground? Spiritual stakes in the ground. Which would be, which would be times when you just drove a stake in the ground because it, it was there that you met with God and you, 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 you understood Him a little bit better and you watched Him work in your life and you don't want to forget, so you drove a stake in the ground. So that you could go back to that stake in the ground and say, yeah, there is where... There is where God was at work in my life. If you, don't, if, you, if, you, if you don't regularly do that, that's a good thing to do. Like Michelle, you got a major stake in the ground here. I mean, it's pretty major, right? I can't see you smiling, but I know you are. That's a pretty major stake in the ground, isn't it? Stuff like that. Abraham goes back and he says, Hey, God, we talked before, now let's talk again. Okay, because you know what you know what's happening, right? You know what's happening here. It's not that it's not that Abram is 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 convincing God of anything when he prays, and we don't pray to do that. We don't pray to convince God of anything. You know what prayer is? I had a professor of of, of, of at, at seminary say this in class one day. You know, it's interesting because they're teaching a lesson, but then it's in addition to the, the comments that they make in addition to the lessons that really stick with you. He said, you know what prayer is about? Prayer is about shaping us. Prayer shapes us. God shapes our thinking through prayer. As we just stop to pray, we think about God and we think about who He is. And, 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 and it's fascinating. We don't, go, we don't go, when we're really praying, we don't go with our list and say, okay, number one on the list is this God, take care of this. Number two on the list is this God, take care of this. No, that's not prayer. Prayer is God shaping our will into His will. Understand that? Prayer is God shaping our will into His will. And sometimes those are the same. And sometimes they're vastly different. One prayer of Jesus that you all remember, I hope, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where eventually He said... Not my will, but yours be done. And that's prayer. And that's what's happening here. God is shaping Abraham through this prayer, through this building of an altar, which is, which is an act of worship, which is foreign to us, but it's kind of like coming to church a little bit. It's just spending some time with God deliberately, intentionally. So Abraham went back there because, because in his own, when he looked to himself, when he tried to manipulate and control the situation, that ended in disaster, near disaster. If it weren't for God's intervention, it would have been disaster. And he's learning, I cannot control these situations. I cannot manipulate these situations. There are some things I just can't do. But God can. See, that's what he's learning. And Lot, okay, now, 
before I read this, understand, here's what's happening. God, God's always going to use obstacles, okay? So if you've got an obstacle in your life right now, how many of you got an don't, don't raise your hand. I know, I know. If you don't have one, you can make one up. <laughs> but I know you do. Everybody has an obstacle right now. When I say God has you right where he wants you, that's what, that's, that, that, he's using that obstacle. He's using that obstacle to, to, to fashion and shape you into the person he wants you to be. He wants you to trust him in that problem. See, when we, here's, but here's our temptation. We want to manipulate and control and scheme and plot and plan and manage. We become masters at managing our lives and managing our problems, but God wants to, wants, wants to work through our problems with us so that we get an idea of what he's like. You see, you see what I'm saying? Give me some indication that you know what I'm saying. Do, do you see it? Okay, so. Obstacle. Lot, who, who, who went with Abram, also had a lot of stuff. And this stuff that he had was stuff that ate grass. Okay, so he had a lot of stuff that made him, that made him a wealthy man. But 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 these these beasts that he was responsible for that he owned were were consumers, and there was only so much to be consumed. Right. So listen, here's what happens. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. What a problem to have! Too much stuff. So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's, Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So this is not unlike, now you gotta listen, you gotta think a little bit here, okay? This is not unlike the previous problem in the promised land. And it's not unlike the previous problem in the promised land because famine, famine is, is, is such that things, do, I'm, I don't want to insult your intelligence here, but you know what famine is. It, things don't grow when there's no rain, right? So you run out of stuff. And if you have too many animals on the same grazing land with the same water, you run out of stuff. So there's a problem. There's a real problem. Their stuff's going to die. They cannot, they cannot coexist. There's a competition. There's a competition for the land. A competition. And when I say the word competition, there are some of us in here, including myself, who say, oh, you want to compete, huh? You want to compete, huh? I'll compete. But listen, this is God shaping, fashioning, molding a piece of clay. Abraham said to Lot, this is amazing. I don't want this strife. This strife isn't right. 
So I'm taking charge. Get out of my land! Let there be no strife between me and you and between your herds and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Interesting, the Hebrew says we are men, brothers. We are men, brothers. Reminds me of a, of a story earlier. And this story you're supposed to remember because you're supposed to remember everything that comes before chapter 13. Because this is a story. This is a small story within a larger story. And part of the problem with the human race is our greed. Just the utter selfishness that's part of our lives. And the other story, there's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain's question to God, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for my brother? Well, here, Abram does the anti-Cain. This is my brother. Is not the whole land before you? You choose. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You see how this man's already changed? You say, well, that's risky business. What kind of business plan is that? <laughs> that's a business plan that has trust in God underneath it. That's the proposal of a man who's starting to get it. Who's starting to understand that God takes care of these things. I can be my brother's keeper and trust God with attention. Now, Lot is not a villain. Some of you who know the Bible pretty well may have thought in the past that Lot was a villain, that Lot was bad. No, Lot's just smart. If somebody says, you choose, and on this side you see lush, fertile, beautiful, green, and on this side you see desert, which are you going to choose? He said I could choose. But the problem with that is 
all of our choices have consequences, right? And even those, even those choices that seem right initially <laughs> can land us in some pretty dangerous places. Especially, listen, especially when you trust your eyes and not your God. Especially when you walk by sight and not by faith. Lot acted a lot like Eve. And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Now I don't know what that looked like, but it must have been beautiful. It must have been like a garden. A lush, fertile, growing, blossoming, fruitful garden. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you've heard that of those cities before. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. And there's a signal right there. There's a signal. He's going east. He's going east. And that's the way fallen humanity has traveled to this point. East. He's going in the wrong direction is what the Bible's saying with symbolic language. Thus they separated from each other. Per preserving the integrity of the promise to Abraham, okay, but also setting us up for what's going to happen with Lot in the future. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Boom. Watch out. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. See, it's dangerous to walk by sight and not by faith. Because some things look really good, but they're not really good. They're really dangerous. Always good to consult God before you make any major decision. Always good to consult God before you make any minor decision. Always good to consult God before you make any decision, except what socks you're going to wear, because he really doesn't care. Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, listen to this. This is so cool. Lift up your eyes. Lot lifted up his own eyes. God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes. See, here's that gracious intervention again. Here's God intervening. Listen to what he says. Lord said to Abraham, after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Now, this is not a reward. This is not a reward for that kindness that he showed to Lot. This is just God's grace and generosity. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Oh, really? 
What about Sarah? Don't think about Sarah and her barrenness. Think about the possibilities. Think about the possibilities when there's a God who can do the impossible. What are the possibilities when God can do the impossible? Well, all you have to do is be on the right side of God, right? So are you on the right side of God? If you're on the right side of God, is anything impossible? No. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And walking through the length and the breadth of the land is is an image for us, is an image to help us understand that Abraham was taking ownership of the land right here as he was walking through it. That's what this means. With us, with us, there's papers to sign. Patty, you know about this, right? I mean, it's not as simple as just walking on someone's property and saying it's mine, right? You got to, you know, there's all kinds of red tape and stuff like that. But in this case, it was, it was he just walked through the land and it, and it belonged to him. God promised it to him. It was a grant. So Abraham moved his tent came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He's learning. He's learning. He's learning because God is fashioning him. God is molding him. God is teaching him. And here's an advancement. But, just a preview for what's to come. <laughs> With every advancement, there's a challenge. With every advancement, there's an obstacle. But every obstacle is an opportunity to trust God. I hope you see it. It's a wonderful thing. Our God is always working for us even when we're working against ourselves. And the greatest expression of that, of course, the greatest expression of that comes further on in the Bible when Jesus comes and He lives among us and He instructs us through His life and He substitutes for us by His death. Why we were yet sinners while we were yet hostile, enemies of God, He acted on our behalf. And that's why we celebrate communion. If the men would come forward, that'd be great who are going to help with this. Let's remember as we go through this little ceremony here, that's much more meaningful than just a simple ceremony. Just remember, God's working for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? Let's remember that. Expressed in the greatest act of love that's ever been expressed. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here's how communion works 
at Grace Community Church. You're a believer in Jesus. You've trusted him in his death on the cross for your salvation. You're looking to him. Take communion with us. We want you to. We invite you to do that. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But even as even even in Christ, sometimes we get things, you know, distorted, messed up. We're fallen and flawed. And so communion is an opportunity for us to admit that. We don't have to admit it out loud, we don't have to admit it publicly, but personally, privately. Admit to God that 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 what we're doing was needed and is still needed. Jesus died for our sins and we still sin. And so we need that forgiveness. So if there's something that you know about and need to confess, it's pretty simple. Confess. And know that it's already forgiven. The moment he rose from the dead, that sealed it. Every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you're contemplating, every sin that you'll ever commit is forgiven through Jesus Christ.